This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for creating a blog, website, portfolio, or an online store. To create your own space, visit squarespace.com and save 10% by using offer code TREK8. And also by TrekFan. It's not just a fan club, it's an adventure. You'll explore new places, learn new things, and collaborate with other fans to solve puzzles, complete real-life mission objectives, and win great prizes. Don't miss out. Help move us toward the Star Trek future by visiting trekfan.org. Plus, if you'd like to support our programming personally, visit trek.fm donate to get our new alien badges and art prints, featuring original illustration by Tobu Ushi. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. How we doing, Trip? Ready when you are. Prepare for warp. Course laid in, sir. Request permission to get underway. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as always, but doing something a little bit unusual today, is my co-host from Australia, Kate Walsh. Hey, Kate, is that... uh, What is that I see behind you there? Are those regulin bloodworms that you have in that jar? Oh, you've caught me out again, Chris. I can't hide anything from you, can I? Well, no, it's on camera, Kate. I mean, what's that? It's regular bloodworms. I see like some kind of eel in an aquarium behind you. Is that an osmotic eel? Yeah, well, it, it just might be sitting right next to my um, origami bat. Oh, well, you're always asking me about Japanese things. So I see you have taken up origami, have you? I have. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get with the program here. <laughs> You know, I, I do have to ask you, what are you doing with all of these weird creatures in your room there? Well, you know, seeing as this is an Enterprise podcast, I've, I've really just kind of got to get in the mood every time we record. So I figured I'd head down to my local pet shop, see what kind of weird and wacky creatures I can find and, you know, went from there. Is your local pet shop called Fluxus? It is actually. I, I'm surprised <laughs> that you um, you knew that. <laughs> well, you know, I've got my spies down there. So yeah, today we're going to talk about Flux, one of the most interesting characters on Enterprise and perhaps in Star Trek. And more specifically, we're going to take a look inside Flux's sick bay. Now, Kate, when we were planning Warp Five, you know, before we launched the show, we were kicking around different topics that we might do early on in the run, I mentioned that one thing that I've always wanted to do is a fun episode that looks at all the strange stuff that goes on inside Flux's sick bay because, you know, the 24th century shows, Dr. Crusher uses all this fancy Star Trek technology, Starfleet technology to solve her medical puzzles. Dr. Bashir uses that stuff as well. Plus he's got his genetically enhanced mind and it always feels like when you're practicing medicine in the 24th century, 
it's kind of like the way that we do math today, or like here in Japan, the way you write kanji, which is that you kind of forget the nuts and bolts of it because technology is doing everything for you and you don't have to think about it so much. And, and at least in enterprise, that frontier medicine feel that we got with Dr. McCoy in the original series, it finally came back and Dr. Flux is solving problems using nature. Well, the most interesting thing I find about Dr. Flux is that it's like 150 years from where we are now, yet he is so interested in combining both organic and inorganic medicine. And so we see that real, um, it, it, it almost reminds me of uh, homeopathy, natural therapies, which is right. quite unusual given that it's such a scientific show. When we think of characters like uh, Dr. Bashir, who are so academic and so um, clinical in their practice of medicine, it's quite a contrast. And I think it really is an element that's quite typical of enterprise in the field that we see for the show. Yeah, I think it's part of it is finding ways coming off of Voyager, which, you know, took Star Trek Technobabble to the max, coming off of that and bringing people back to a point where we can associate with what's going on on the ship. And it feels more like our world a bit and an extrapolation of where we're from now. I think having these types of touches and maybe making Phlox a homeopathic uh, practitioner of sorts on the ship was a, a good way of doing that. Even if it seems unlikely that someone might be doing that 150 years from now, at least for us as the viewers, it helped to pull that show back you know, closer in time to us. Well, in some ways it may seem unlikely, but the other thing we know about Phlox is he has like seven degrees in all sorts of fields. He does, like a dozen. Veterinary science being one of them. So yeah. in terms of the character, it's quite believable and it's not that unlikely that he would look to combine a number of dif different disciplines. Right, that's right. Also, I think there was some desire, of course, maybe we should ask Brandon this sometime, but some desire to recapture Dr. McCoy's way of approaching medicine a little bit. Because in the original series, they're going out there for the first time. Now, of course, as we retcon everything and now we fill in the blanks of how did we get to Kirk and Spock and McCoy's time, we know that, well, they weren't the first ship going out to explore. But when the show came on in the 60s, the premise of it was that is what they were doing. And McCoy, you know, he would solve problems on the spot. He was kind of like the MacGyver of medicine. And McCoy could, okay, something's wrong. The crew's sick. Everyone's got to get better. McCoy could basically mix some liquids together and just kind of eyeball it in a beaker to know if it was going to work or it was going to kill everybody. It's like, yeah, it looks about right. Why don't you just drink this and you'll be okay. And Dr. Crusher would never do anything like that, right? And then you get to Voyager. Not only does the doctor use technology, the doctor is technology in Voyager. <laughs> He's a hologram. So I think recapturing that, that spirit of frontier medicine and exploring things as new again, which we felt with Dr. McCoy, you know, he was the country doctor. And... We get that with Flux, even though they're they're very different characters in terms of their temperament and their personalities. Well, this is the thing that's so interesting about Enterprise because back in episode two when we spoke with Brandon, 
and he spoke about there being that triumvirate of Kirk, Spock and McCoy represented in Archer, T'Pol and Trip. You know, and we've got that kind of yeah. country feel with Trip. Yet we also do see <laughs> yeah. that reflected in Flocks. And it's quite a complex series in that respect. And we see these interesting dynamics happening between the characters. And I know one thing that uh, John Billingsley expressed in relation to Flocks was that the character that he ended up being was a little different to what he originally first conceived him as. Um, yeah. But that he could still find those commonalities and work with it as an actor. And we really see Flocks develop over the first and second season and certainly some of my favourite episodes involve the development of Flocks and the things that happen in the sick bay over that time. Of course, the series changes quite a bit after the second season, but those first two seasons are quite wonderful from my perspective in terms of encompassing Enterprise at its core. Yeah. Yeah. The sick bay feels like a totally different world on that ship, doesn't it? I mean, the sick bay is literally a menagerie. But instead of just having the animals there for show, they're actually put to work to help cure the ailments that afflict the crew as they set foot on these different planets for the very first time. And I'm glad, like you said, about what Billingsley said about uh, how he viewed the character initially and then how it evolved. I'm glad that he lost the squawk sound that he was making at first because I, you know, I'm not a big fan of the smile that Flux does. It's kind of creepy. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can live with the smile, but the squawk would have really gotten on my nerves. Although it's nice to see him puff his face out a little bit in the fourth season. <laughs> Well, that was kind of a cool, funny thing because it just kind of comes out of nowhere. Mm. But then you think, well, you know, that's a reasonable defense mechanism in a life form. So that was that was kind of cool. So why don't we talk about, uh, I guess before we talk about all the critters that live in the sick bay, we can talk about the design of the sick bay a little bit because it is quite different than the sick bays that we see in the 24th century. It is. And um, I um, I did a little little bit of research about the sick bay and what the original concept was. When Paramount first uh, sent out, uh, you know, the, the information sheet in order to try and recruit an actor for this particular show, they, they gave a description of what the character was going to be like, but they also gave a description of the sick bay, which I found particularly interesting. And what they said was, and, and I'll, I'll quote it directly, the doctor has filled sick bay with all sorts of bizarre medical instruments, alien plants and spores, and stasis chambers with small living creatures. He practices a brand of intergalactic medicine, the likes of which we've never seen. This makes the most routine visit to sick bay an unexpected adventure. What are your <laughs> thoughts on that, Chris? <laughs> Well, I think it's pretty accurate because there are a lot of unexpected adventures that the crew members go on when they set foot in that sick bay. I mean, what other Star Trek series have you ever seen where the captain of the ship has to grab a net and help the doctor catch a bat? <laughs> so that's, that's certainly true. <laughs> and, and never mind... Um, walk in and, and, and find the doctor clipping his toenails. Oh, gosh. Okay, well, okay, while we're on this topic, I have to ask you, because I was thinking about this, 
I was watching a night in sick bay today, actually. And what what do you think the doctor? Because he uses everything for some purpose, right? What does he do with the toenail clippings? Does he use them to create some kind of medicine? Does he feed them to some of the animals? What does he do with those things? Well, we do actually see him feed them to the creatures. Oh, he does dump them in there, doesn't he? But this also got me wondering, his tongue scrapings, what is he doing with those tongue scrapings? (laughs) That was my other question. What does he do with all the saliva and the dead taste buds that he scrapes off of his tongue? I mean, I'm also thinking, okay, He's he's clipping his toenails, but that's not the only part of a pedicure. You get a pedicure and you're scraping the heels of your foot to make the skin nice and clean. So surely there are some other creatures in his sick bay that are going to benefit from those skin scrapings as well. Right. Luckily, Archer woke up before he got to that part of the <laughs> pedicure. I, I dread to think what else Archer missed as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh, who knows? I could just imagine what's going on through Archer's head. You see some of it on his face, but you know there's so much more going on that <laughs> he spends one night in the sick bay and he's like, this stuff's going on down here all the time? It's like a, <laughs> a madhouse down here. What is happening to me? <laughs> it's the first time he really gets to get a sense of the biological differences with human flocks, I think. you know. The, I mean, we get all the yeah. stuff later about him and... Uh, Liesel and the um, the polygamy and the, the mating rituals on his planet, but um, that right. episode of Night in Sick Bay, we get to see his his day to day rituals, which is so fascinating. And which, you know, we talk about him being a naturopath <laughs> in the true sense. You know, he's feeding his biological parts to his creatures. Oh God, <laughs> it is what he's doing, though. It's, it's really unique. Uh, while we're talking about the bat chase also, I wanted to ask you, Kate, have you mastered Flux's bat call? Well, I have been working hard at it alongside my um, technique on the Irish whistle to play the tune from the inner light. But putting that aside, the other thing I've been working really hard on is my origami techniques in creating a pyrethian moonhawk. <laughs> oh man, that it's just that's an adventure. Okay, we're talking about adventures in Sick Bay. That whole thing. Yeah. The 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 paper moonhawk. The the nets. And then and then Hoshi just catches the bat. Actually, she doesn't even catch it really, right? Just flies over to her, sits <laughs> her hand, she gives a little pat on the head. It must have happened to her before. She has a good relationship with the Pyrithian bat. And, you know, they're buddies. She can talk to it. She speaks Pyrithian Badish. Well, she speaks all sorts of languages. We also know that she gets on well with creatures in general. I mean, she had quite a relationship with Sluggo, who was also an inhabitant of Sick Bay at one point. So the Sick Bay overall, I, again, like everything on the show, the Sick Bay feels a little bit closer to a hospital, a clinic that we're familiar with. I, you know, I guess it has a bit more of that. I would need to ask somebody who has served on a submarine or a ship, you know, maybe our friend Ben McCormick, who was in the Navy, could tell us how close it resembles, you know, the sick bay or the infirmary 
on a military vessel, but but I feel that's a bit more of what they were going for, kind of something in between that feel and kind of a modern day hospital clinic type feel. Not so techy. Well, we hear on the season one Blu-ray, um, I think it's in the uh, commentary on the pilot about how the feel of the sick bay is much more clinical, much more white in its feeling, as you said, much yeah. more like a hospital. We also see that it has a laboratory, which when we think about other series, um, and personally I think in particular about Voyager, we see the doctor in Voyager doing various experiments and working on projects, but it's not quite that clinical feel with the test tubes and the the vials going right. on that we see with flocks in Enterprise, the sick bay is much closer to what we see now. Even if we think about, you know, we have the bio beds, but we also have right in the middle of sick bay this the central bed, which retracts mm-hmm. back into what we think of like a cat scan for today, and it's quite a centerpiece of this sick bay. It's quite dominating, and we don't really see that kind of. Uh, prominence of technology in other sick bays and other series. Everything's much more subtle, much more hidden. You think once again, um, as a Voyager fan, I think of, of DMH and Voyager and and the sick bed there, and they have the um, the technology that encloses across people rather than something right. that's a, a major uh, element of the room. So, as with other elements that we see in Enterprise. It is very much closer to what we have today and is a great transition between those series. Definitely, yeah. And uh, and the CAT scan type device there in the middle of the room is also a great visual cue for us to associate with because that's Mm. what we think of here. And overall, I I think, you know, in different series, we see different parts of sickbay as they're needed for the plot of a particular story. You know, you think like on TNG and Clues, then we see that, well, Beverly has this little place where she can incubate things because that's how she notices that those are growing at a, a more rapid rate than she would expect. But in Flax's sick bay, we, we get to see more of the whole sick bay all the time. So it doesn't feel like things are just being introduced only as they're needed for the plot. But we actually can, can see things that he can use on an ongoing basis. And particularly the episode of Night in Sick Bay, which is very much focused in that environment. We see them moving in and out of rooms and, you know, where Archer's yeah. sleeping and then into Flox's lab. And it's such a great episode to to get to experience that side of the ship. And I I contrast that very much with something like um an episode like Threshold, where mm-hmm. we see uh we see Tom Paris on the bio, on the on the bed and all of a sudden this uh, force field comes down and it's very protected and very safe um you know and we just don't have that kind of technology in enterprise you know it's very right. much an an organic environment just draw the curtain on the captain <laughs> that's exactly right and if he's going to hear you scraping your tongue and cutting your fingernails well so be it that's okay you know if he doesn't like that he needs to spring for a private room or go to the gym and work off that frustration. Exactly. Well, let's talk about some of these creatures that Flux has in Sick Bay because this is, as I said a moment ago, quite a menagerie. And the first one that we'll talk about is the Altarian marsupial, which is 
a creature that I, I don't think we ever get to see this marsupial that I can remember, but they talk about it in Broken Bow. And Flux keeps the Altarian marsupial around so he can use the droppings. Because <laughs> he puts it, the droppings contain the greatest concentration of regenerative enzymes found anywhere. And isn't that completely typical Phlox, that the kind of things that we would think is completely useless in any other Star Trek series and would never even consider? <laughs> <laughs> He's just so into it. Right. I mean, what would Picard or Riker have said if they had come down to sick bay and they look over in the corner and there's this animal sitting over there? They asked Beverly, why is there an animal in sick bay? And she said, well, you know... I like to collect its droppings because they're really useful when I make medicine for you guys. Uh, I mean, really, if you're going out in deep space for the first time, you've got to make the best use of anything you can get. <laughs> anything you can get. But but that's a good point because the thing is that by carrying all these animals on the ship, Flux, he has to feed them. He has to care for them. They're much higher maintenance than technology. They're much higher maintenance than the computer screens that they use in 24th century Starfleet sick bays. And also, what if they get sick? You know, what if your Altarian marsupial dies and you can't replace <laughs> it and you don't have access to the droppings anymore? So, on the one hand, yes, you're making do with what you have access to. But mm. on the other hand, Flux has chosen these creatures for very specific purposes, and he has to keep them alive so that he has the tools that he needs to treat the crew. And it's a trade-off, isn't it? You know, you look at, um, you've got these marsupials, you've got the benefits that they provide by their droppings, but okay, well, how much energy and resources are going to have to go into maintaining right. them? So you can assume he's exactly. done some kind of SWOT analysis um, in relation to that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and worked out which creatures are going to be the most beneficial to keep around. And I often think of the episode Catwalk where they're forced to go into the catwalk and they've, they've got very limited space and he struggles so much with he knows he's only got this, this, this very limited amount of space and he's wondering what creatures am I going to sacrifice. And, and the really interesting yeah. thing with Flocks is it's not just about the medical purposes that they serve but he seems to have a genuine love for these creatures as well. And he begs to Paul to allow him more space to keep the creatures that he has. So, you know, I mean, in summer for the, for the benefit of feeding to others, I mean, that's true, but there is a genuine affection for them, probably the bat more than any though. Well, the bat's his buddy. The, nothing is going to happen to the bat. You mentioned for some of them are for feeding to others, he had some tribbles as well, which were a food source. It was like an easy food source for some of the other animals because they replicate. So it's very, it's an <laughs> easily abundant food source to have on hand. And don't you just love how horrified Hoshi was that he was feeding these wonderfully cute tribbles to uh, some of his creatures? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, Another thing that we heard about in Broken Bow was the immunocytic gel worm. And these are some kind of weird looking creatures, which of course, uh, they, they live in a fluid, live in water. They kind of stick themselves to the side of the jar. We don't really know what he did with them, 
but we do know one thing that we're not supposed to do. Kate, what can you never do to a jar with an immunocytic gel worm in it? I'm assuming you can't feed them after midnight or get them wet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's okay to get them wet. They live in water. Don't feed them after midnight. No, no, that's not the correct answer. You can't shake them. Flocks told Archer, don't shake them. Mm, Well, there you go. That's a lesson (laughs) for everyone out there then. (laughs) I have to say that my my very favorite creature is the mimetic symbiont, though. Right, yes, which it's actually called a Lysarian desert larva. But this is the one that they used to clone Trip, created Sim, and which ultimately allowed us to get Trip back in similitude. It's a creepy looking thing. I mean, I know there's going to be a lot of people out there that would be extremely happy if they could just inject a little bit of Conotroneer's DNA and end up with their very own trip within 15 days. <laughs> but but then he's going to die after 15 days. You know, this, this larva, it goes from this white, kind of creepy looking white blob that I personally don't want to hold without big rubber <laughs> gloves on to an adult organism, whatever it is that it's been used to clone in 15 days. And then that organism's going to die, you know, as Sim was, was going to. Look, I mean, Chris, I know the Lacerians had banned that particular practice of cloning, but if you could clone anyone, who would you clone? out of a Lysarian desert larvae. Do they have to be from Enterprise? Absolutely anyone. Absolutely anyone. Well, of course, you know, the rest of the Trek FM crew knows that I would say Ensign Leffler from TNG, but, hmm, I don't know, who would you clone? Well, Okay, I think if if I could clone anyone, I'd probably be cloning Tom Paris. (laughs) There's going to be a lot of Tom Paris clones running around, I think. (laughs) There may very well be. (laughs) I think there are a lot of other people who are in the same boat with you. Quite possibly. Although the the only disadvantage being that he'd only be around for 15 days, so you've got to kind of make hay while the sun shines. Yeah, that's the thing. So this is just a weird little thing, the Lysarian desert larva. I I wonder what was Flux thinking at the beginning when they left to go on the mission? He's just like, I better take one of these larvae with me. I never <laughs> know who I'm going to need to clone. Well, it is an interesting question, given the ethical considerations that had already been faced around this particular species. And I wondered why... Did he have it on board? Exactly. Was it just a just-in-case kind of scenario or was it, well, my Parisian bat may just want a bit of a treat one day. You never know what she's going to like. So she's feed her bits of desert larva? Well, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it's it's hard to know. Um, He was kind of quite affectionate with that bat we, we saw him on several occasions or he spoke about talking to it even though he was quite baffled by archer talking to porthos he could kind of relate to it because he himself spoke with his bat there was a really uh, quite an affectionate relationship a, a pet thing going on there and um you know who knows 
Well, my favorite comparison to Porthos, though, was in A Night in Sick Bay, where he tells Archer that we don't have dogs on Denobula, but the Denobula Nemer, it's it's kind of like a dog, you know, it's got fur, it's got a tail, it's got the one head. But it's also a delicacy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, its kidneys are a delicacy. But it's it's got the one head. It makes you wonder, like, what are the other animals on Denobula like? <laughs> oh, we can only wonder. I mean, they have three wives, so maybe most of the animals have three heads. Oh, it could be, it could be. We'll call them, they're all the, the, the Beeblebrox animals. So he also had the osmotic eel, which, of course, you have in the aquarium behind you there that you bought down at Fluxus. I do. And... This one is, you know, good for cleaning and healing wounds. And Flax used it to cauterize Archer's leg wound in Broken Bow. And then he used it again in Countdown when Hoshi had those parasites that the Zindi put in her head to to try to force her to help them break the code. So the ill is pretty useful. And as we talk about how many resources do you have to expend, you know, to keep all these creatures alive... The eel only has to be fed a nutrient broth every three or four days, so it's fairly a low-maintenance little critter. It is, but it's also occurred to me that this is an animal that you need to make a broth for. <laughs> That's true. I mean, there's not many other animals in Flox's sick bay that you've actually got to go into the kitchen for. And when we know Hoshi is pretty partial to making her kind of her soups and so forth and her family recipes, but... Um, yeah, she makes miso soup, yeah. I, I don't know if she's willing to go in there and, and cook for an eel. I don't know, which which begs the question, does Flox have a deal worked out with Chef? Is Chef making broth for the eel? <laughs> well, we can only hope so because something needs to keep them alive. And you don't want Chef to get that mixed up either. You know, you don't want any kind of little syntax errors coming in here. We don't <laughs> want him to make an eel broth for Archer Trip and Paul's dinner instead of a broth for Flox's eel. So careful. Although maybe it's not chef. quite as salty as Hoshi's soup. <laughs> maybe not. So, okay, regulin bloodworms. This is another thing that Flox uses. These soft, spineless little creatures from the regulin system, which are really good for cleaning lymphatic systems, which, I mean, as you would expect from anything called a bloodworm, but it's just the name. It needs to give them a better name. You know, he tried to give them to Travis. Well, he actually used them on Travis, right, to get this this toxic compound out of Travis's blood in two days and two nights, but... I I don't know. It's just the name. It just <laughs> there's something it's just a not appealing. Bit disconcerting. Yeah, <laughs> I completely get that. I also think of the episode Dead Stop, where Malcolm is getting treated by Flocks for the injury that he's received in Minefield, and oh, there yeah, was some yeah. creature that was lost inside his leg, and he's completely not willing to undergo oh, that that treatment again in yeah. case you know there's an, a second one that's lost. <laughs> But it was going That's to work right. its way out eventually. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, man. And to Flux, it's like no big deal. Eh, you know, it'll come out eventually. <laughs> it'll all come out in the end. But that's totally Flux, because another thick I noticed is that in Flux's sick bay, you can just taste test things to find out if they're hazardous or not. 
Archer's like, what is that all over you? Is it safe? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's fine. Yeah, yeah that tastes fine. <laughs> of course, um, the other thing we, we see with Phlox's sick sickbay is he has all these creatures, but he also grows, grows quite a bit of plant life to sustain them too. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the ones that stands out to me is the Endosian slug, which is quite partial to the root leaf that he grows in the sick bay too. He's just got his own little biosphere going in there, doesn't he? And, and those particular slugs likes them in boiled form, especially not steamed. Oh, really? They're not picky. baked. Goodness, only boiled. Okay, definitely. Flux has some kind of deal worked out with Chef because Flux doesn't have time to to cater to all the culinary preferences of these creatures. And this is why he was so stressed out in regeneration. He's on his way to becoming Borg. He's needing to separate himself from the rest of the crew. And he's thinking, what the hell am I going to do? There's all these creatures who have very specific taste demands. How am I going to get them the food that they need and want? Who is going to be my liaison with Chef? Exactly. Because that's a full-time job by itself. And, of course, Hoshi steps in. She's um, the backup cook. She's also the person that um, has researched uh, Malcolm's particular birthday cake tastes so you know she's the perfect choice to come in and help him out in that episode good thing she was there i just hope crewman cutler doesn't get too jealous <laughs> and of course a side note which people will recognize from the original series you know regular bloodworms that's what the klingon corax refers to humans as in the trouble with triples so that's a classic it's nice that they picked that up that flux actually uses regulin bloodworm so we get to find out what those are instead of just hearing about it as a klingon insult it's a great thing about enterprise too how they kind of just slip in those references to the original series and um you know just just to satisfy the, the fans that are looking for that stuff and to make it relevant and to tie it all in so yeah that's great yeah it is nice so we've spent a lot of time today talking about a night in sick bay, and that brings us to the Calrissian Chameleon, which if you're a Star Wars fan and you're listening to this, don't worry, it's not Lando Calrissian's child or anything like that. It's actually, it's a creature. It's a Calrissian Chameleon. And this is the animal whose pituitary gland Phlox uses to save the life of Porthos, which somehow involved Porthos getting into, I guess, what was a giant vat of that broth, you know, that's required <laughs> to feed the osmotic eel. <laughs> that's, that's true. I never thought of it like that, but I guess that's what sustained him. <laughs> I mean, Archer was pretty concerned about his dog being drowned, but if you think about it, right. I mean, Phlox had a lot of trust in that broth. He'd used it before, so... That's obviously yeah. how he convinced him. I think that was the the, the the vat of broth that they were fixing up for the eels. And, and later, it's going to have that nice little canine touch to it, you know, just a hint of dog. Once Porthos had been immersed in that uh, broth, it almost became like a master stock. <laughs> oh, gosh. There's just, there's no end to the amazing things that can happen in Flux's sickbay. <laughs> and of course, you know, Porthos gets under a little bit of stress in future and, and Archer isn't going to be able to see him at all. He's just going to completely disappear into his surroundings now that he's got that chameleon body part inside him. 
Exactly. That was a great little joke that Flux made there, right? That Porthos will now be able to blend in. <laughs> so it's a good thing that uh, he had this chameleon there on the ship so he could save Porthos. And apparently this is really good for treating respiratory infections as well. So I guess that can extend beyond Porthos to to maybe to humans or Vulcans or other people as well, which must be why he had it on the ship in the first place. I don't think he was ever planning that he would have to do a pituitary gland transplant into a dog. Well, it's the future of medicine, isn't it? And it's something that we can all look forward to. <laughs> Definitely. So the the last thing I have on the list in terms of little critters is the bat that we've been talking about throughout the entire show. And not only is the bat useful for, you know, different medical purpose, uh, the, the bat eats moth larvae and, and all this kind of stuff, but it, it's also useful as a defense mechanism in case, you know, aliens try to take over your ship. It certainly is. Um, and But the one thing you need to remember is if your bat ever jumps to your aid in defending against aliens, that you need to make sure to offer a special treat afterwards. Oh, definitely. I mean, that's like Bat Defense 101. A few extra the academy. slugs or moth larvae or something. Yeah, you need to treat. You know, I was watching The Office recently, and there's this episode near the end of the third season, where Dwight brings a bat in. Well, actually, there's a bat living in the ceiling, I guess, of the office. And Dwight is so sure that he can capture the bat. And they have this whole big bat chase around the office. And of course, that reminded me of Enterprise. And then at the end, he finally catches the bat. And he catches it by... it landed near Meredith, I guess, on her shoulder, and he puts the bag over her head and traps the bat underneath the bag with her head in the bag. And the reason I bring this up is just to show the influence that Star Trek has on me is the whole time I'm watching this, I'm <laughs> thinking about a night in sick bay, and I'm thinking about the bat chase with Fox and Archer and catching the bat. So whenever I see a bat, I think of Enterprise. Do you particularly think of Enterprise being someone who lives in Japan and origami being a, a big thing there. And, and, you know, do you really practice it yourself at creating these Pyrethian moonhawks? I don't do moonhawks and I don't do origami myself, but uh, my wife can do origami. My kids like to do origami. I don't think they've ever done the Pyrethian moonhawk. But I'm going to have to put it on the list, most definitely. Well, if you can get them to work on the Moonhawk, you can work on the sound effects. And then you'll be set oh, in yes. case you ever have a Parisian bat escape from your back room. Well, that's a good idea because at our family's summer house in Nagano, uh, about maybe a year or two ago, we actually did have a bat that was living in the house. And if I had had an origami pyrithian moonhawk with me at the time, along with my completely mastered pyrithian moonhawk call, I could have easily cleared the house of the bat. And I, th I think any Star Trek fan worth their weight in latinum really needs to master that call. Definitely. Although in the Enterprise era, 
do we really judge our value by our weight in latinum or is it by our weight in broth? Well, that's a good point. And I think even that our discussion today that, that broth is the most valuable commodity that we have. It seems to be. It's either that or it's Chinese food because Flox was such a big fan of Chinese food after all the time he spent in San Francisco. And I did want to ask you before we wrap up the show, do you think that Flox ever incorporated Chinese food into any of his treatments? I'd like to think he incorporated fortune cookies because I think they might have really needed that, you know, going out into space for the first time, particularly in season three as they're going out to meet the Zindi. Um, you know, that so could have been quite useful. <laughs> so I'm picturing now as you bring that up, I'm picturing Archer coming up to Phlox asking about Porthos. Is he going to live? And Phlox hands him a fortune cookie. And then Archer has to crack open the fortune cookie (laughs) and pull out the paper to find out the answer. And Phlox doesn't even know for sure what the answer is inside that cookie. (laughs) I like to think that they would open the fortune cookie and, you know, particularly in season four and season three, that it would say, today is a good day to die. Oh, maybe so. Well, let's wrap up our discussion of Flux's sick bay. I had one thing I wanted to point out, which I failed to point out when we talked about the design. It's just a little thing that I love about Enterprise and the way they put those touches in that help us connect it with our own time. I love the fact that Flux has a roll of ordinary paper towels mounted on the wall in sick bay. I don't know what he does with them, but they're there on the wall. I like to think that it's there to to clean up the uh, broth spillages. <laughs> it probably is. <laughs> they're bounty. They're super absorbent. They're space bounty. <laughs> That's And also when he finishes with that and he needs to throw them away, he has that just ordinary cylindrical trash can with the little foot pedal on it like you see in every department store or hotel. It's right there in sick bay. The stainless steel variety. Yeah, there's been no progress in two centuries in trash can design, apparently, on Earth. Well, the other option he has, of course, is just to feed it to his creatures. The paper towels? That's right. I'm sure there's one or other that's going to enjoy that. Well, probably. I mean, when I was in high school, we had a shih tzu that used to eat styrofoam plates. So... <laughs> I'm sure something in sickbay will eat the paper towels. Kate, let me ask you as a last thing here. We, we talked about a lot of different moments in sickbay, things that happen in sickbay. Are there any other things that happen in sickbay? Because again, we, we said it's an adventure when you go into this room. Anything else that you love about the series that we didn't touch on that you want to bring up? I have so many favorite moments that happened in sickbay. In particular, I think season one and two, which really focused on those character moments in Enterprise and when we get to explore flocks quite a bit. One of my favourite moments, and it's just a small thing, is it's in the episode The Communicator and we see Trip's hand get shielded and so it goes completely invisible and it comes to Oh, he gets cloaked when they use the the Sulaban ship. 
Yeah. Yes, and he gets cloaked and he comes, uh, he, he loses uh, his visibility of one of his hands and he comes to sick bay and he, he's looking for a solution from Phlox. And um, Phlox's big solution is to give him a glove. <laughs> I know. One of my absolute favourite moments. <laughs> <laughs> There's no, he tells him right, to change his the- uniform, wear the glove in the meantime, and you'll be right. <laughs> Don't worry about an analgesic and some water and sleep. Just wear the glove. Exactly. In TNG, they would have spent a bunch of time finding some kind of remedy or solution to that, right? Again, using the technology that I talked about. But Flux is just, here's a glove. Just put this on. And of course, towards the end of the episode, (laughs) there's that little spot on his hand that's not quite right yet. What am I going to do, Doc? Don't worry. She'll be right. (laughs) That's right. That's Flux's solution to a lot of stuff. Is it'll be all right, like a day or two. Suck it up. You're in space. <laughs> How about you, Chris? What's one of your favorite moments in Sick Bay? Oh well, you know, probably one of my very, very favorite moments that happen in Sick Bay, which has nothing to do with actually treating patients or anything, is in Stigma when Fiesel is on the ship. And when she's teaching Trip how to set up this neutron microscope and she's hitting on Trip and Flux is just sitting right over there against the wall. And I mean, she's so close on top of Trip and she's looking at him and she's talking to him and it's so obvious. And and then Flux just spins around. He sees what's going on, but he just launches into some other conversation and Trip is so uncomfortable and then Fiesel is giving him the instructions, and she says, it's very simple. Insert the thick end into this opening. Pull it out now. The stream should be initiated. I'm like, oh, my, Fiesel. <laughs> <laughs> and Tripp's completely oblivious to the fact that Phlox wouldn't care, that Phlox would be completely supportive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, but it is. it was all about the equipment in Sick Bay. All about the equipment. So that's probably one of my favorite moments that happens in Sigbay, apart from the bat chase, of course. All right. Well, we we talked a lot longer about Phlox's Sigbay than I thought we would, Kate, and it's been a lot of fun. But, you know, it's not the only thing that we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. So everyone, here's a look at some other things that you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, the orb. The Dominion Wall. I think where we're left is that this helps move forward the character stories that Michael Piller talked about in that second season, that he wanted to do character-driven stories, and this war arc really helps do that. The Ready Room. The Q and the Grey. Well, there's there's kind of two sides to his guide to romance, though, because while we do see his uh, futile attempts with Catherine Janeway, there's also the interaction he has with the female Q, which I found be much more interesting. Decade. STO Foundry, Alpha Flight. It's quite light. The main thing is you get to fly around, test your flying skills, and test your ability to withstand Hold combat. I think we failed in that sort of <laughs> But let's just ignore that. To the journey! Life on Voyager. Well, I'm just saying there was a certain, you know, there was a time period when the Doctor was, you know, like a Ken doll. So that's all I'm saying. I would not <laughs> be a Ken doll. Let's put okay. it that way. Commentary, Trek stars. A stir of Beckos. And it's almost like, in a lot of ways, it's kind of like the way Unbreakable is structured, where he completes his arc and there's still this thing left over. Warp 5. 
Doug Drexler. So we were building our, our foam core model of the Enterprise in the art department and could literally show Brandon and Rick animations of the ship. Once it was approved, it went to Foundation Imaging. Check news and views. Half a life. Oh yeah, of course she does. She's like um, the ultimate nosy busybody on an intergalactic scale. Literary treks. Rise of the Federation, a choice of futures. Watching the, you know, combined Starfleet with the Andorians, the Tellarites, the Vulcans who have mothballed their Starfleet and the humans, putting that all together, it was really interesting. How do we decide what we're going to be? How are we going to display ourselves to the rest of the galaxy? And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all these shows. We have new Trek talk for you every day of the week. Some days we even have two new shows for you. You'll find them on iTunes and Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Zoom, Xbox. You can stream them from the website. Pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts, anywhere you get your entertainment, you're going to find us there. And you can go to trek.fm pd for podcast directory to get all the links. Now, Kate, last week we read a review that we had received in iTunes, and I believe that we have another one this week. We have. We've received another review in the U.S. iTunes store, a five-star review from Finding Demo, who has said, like all of the other Trek FM shows, this is much more than an episode review show, but looks at the series with a true sense of wonder and joy. Listening has inspired me to rewatch Enterprise with an open mind, and I can say I am really enjoying it more the second time around. So that's really great to hear, Chris, not only that they're enjoying our show, but other Trek and Film shows and really enjoying Enterprise again. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's our goal here is to get people excited about Enterprise again and get people to either watch it the first time or give it another chance, you know, if you weren't as wild about it originally. And I'm really glad that we're helping Finding Demo enjoy the show more the second time around. So thanks so much for that review. And we would love for you to leave a review. If you drop by iTunes, it only takes like 30 seconds. We'd love to actually hear your thoughts on the show. So if you want to leave us a written review or a star review or both, it also helps other Enterprise fans find the show as they search iTunes for podcasts. And if you'd like to send us a message, you can do that as well. Go to trek.afilm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5, and that will come to Kate and me by email. If you want to join in a bigger discussion, you can go to our forums at trek.afilm slash forums. There's a section there for Warp 5 and one for Enterprise. And if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can do that as well. It's very easy to do from the website. Look on the right-hand side of any page. You'll see a tab. If you click that, a box will pop up, and you can use your camera's microphone to record a message for us, and you can upload it to us as an MP3 file from right there on the page. So we'd love to hear your voice if you'd like to send us a message. And elsewhere, you know, social media, if you're on Facebook, you can find us at facebook.com slash trekfm. And of course, you'll always find us on Twitter tweeting away about Star Trek and Enterprise under username trekfm. Now, Kate, what if people want to talk to you, maybe get your advice on, you know, how to use different kinds of animals, either for medical purposes or for the culinary arts? Where should they go? Well, if people want to have a chat to me about Enterprise or would like to get my secret recipe for broth, then you can contact me <laughs> on Twitter at Katie's Great OK. I'm more than happy to have a chat, share a few recipes, talk about animal husbandry, whatever you feel like. 
Just contact me, send me an at reply, and I'll follow you back. Very good. And if you'd like to find me on Twitter, my username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username. You can also find my personal website at cbrianjones.com for non-trek things. And elsewhere on the network, you'll find me every week on a couple of shows that I do with Matthew Rushing. On Sunday, we do Literary Treks, where we talk about Star Trek books and comics and interview authors. On Monday, we do a show that's very much like this show, but it's called The Orb, and we talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine. And then every Tuesday, you'll find me on The Ready Room, where I'm joined by hosts from all across Trek Film and other guests from around the world of Star Trek and other podcasts as we talk about all five live-action Star Trek series and the films. We have a fun look at news. We have fun and serious discussions about the show. So go check that out as well. And also, Kate, before we let everyone go, we'd like to ask you to please support our sponsors for this week's show. Your support of our sponsors is very important to making it possible for us to bring Warp 5 and other Trek Film shows to you every week. First, there's Squarespace, the web's best hosting in CMS that makes it simple for you to create a beautiful blog, website, portfolio, an online store, really anything you can imagine. Trek FM is built on Squarespace. I build all my websites on Squarespace. I love it. I know you're going to love it too. Create your own space today. Go to squarespace.com for your free 14-day trial. There's no credit card required. Use all the tools for 14 days. And then when you sign up, use offer code TREK8 to save 10% off your lifetime purchase on new accounts. And we thank Squarespace for their support of Trekafilm and Warp 5. Also, please visit trekfan.org. Now, Trekfan is not an ordinary Star Trek fan club. It's an amazing chance for you to come together with fans to do more than just talk about Star Trek. Now, I love to talk about Star Trek. You love to talk about Star Trek, Kate. I know you do. But if we just sit around and talk all the time, we're never going to get to that Star Trek future. We need to get into action. And at TrekFan, you'll be collaborating with other fans to solve puzzles and complete real-life mission objectives. And along the way, you're going to win great prizes. Now, Kate, you actually went and solved that puzzle, I believe, didn't you? I did. Um, One of the great things about TrekFan.org is that they actually... Uh, like to challenge you intellectually a little bit as well so that first puzzle is a great gateway to the website and to the experience as a whole great so it's it's really interesting so go check it out go to trekfan.org and support trek film and support our sponsor by solving that first puzzle and taking the next step on your adventure we also wanted to invite you to check out Andrew Allen's album, Smooth Federation. Now, if you like this jazz cover that we're playing on Warp 5 of Where My Heart Will Take Me, you know, if you're like most Star Trek fans, you probably like it better than the Russell Watson version that's played on the show itself. If you like this, go check out this really great album because what Andrew has done here is to put together nine other jazz renditions, so a total of ten that are smooth jazz covers of music from across Star Trek. There are themes from the various films, the various TV shows. It's it's a really fantastic album. So go check it out. You can pick it up in iTunes or on Amazon. You're going to love it. Uh, we had someone tell us the other day on Twitter, thanks for you know queuing them in on this. And, and they went and grabbed it. And they said they've been listening to it on loop now. 
because they love it so much. So go check that out. And lastly, if you would personally like to support Trek FM and our programming, you can do that as well. Just go to trek.fm slash donate. We have eight new alien-themed badges as a thank you for your contribution, and they're perfect for your shirt, for your bag, for your patient robe, you know, your gown that flocks will probably dress you in if you have to spend a night in sickbay. They're 44mm badges with original illustration by Tobu Ushi, who does most of the art that you see on our site. And we also have art prints of those now as well, beautiful, larger versions of the aliens. And you can choose what you want, and there are different levels that you can choose from for your donations. So go to trek.fm donate, and your contributions help us cover the costs of production, storage, and bandwidth that's needed to bring Warp 5 and the rest of our programming to you every week. So once again, I'd like to thank everyone for listening to Warp 5. Join us again next week here in the Decon Chamber for yet another episode.